Uh, yes, you're listening to Life 101, where we live in faith every day. Life Online, where we study God's Word line by line. And I'm your host, Pastor Adrian. to this question that the prophet Isaiah poses in Isaiah chapter 28 verse 9. Whom shall he teach knowledge? And whom shall he make to understand doctrine? It is a wonderful question and we don't have to wonder because the prophet himself provides the answer. to the prophet, same chapter, same verse. Them that are weaned from the milk and drawn from the breasts. For precept must be upon precept, precept upon precept, line upon line, line upon line, here a little and there a little. Are you serious about your walk with God? and you want to understand true doctrine, it's time to get your Bible and follow along as we study God's Word. It's time to be weaned from the milk. Get your Bible. Tell a friend about this study. Tell your pastor about this study. Let's get into God's Word, line upon line. to Acts chapter 16 already. Let's open with a word of prayer and then we can get into the study for today. Our Heavenly Father, we praise you and we just want to thank you so much, Father, for Jesus Christ. And we thank you, God, for the apostles that he taught personally. We thank you, God, for the Apostle Paul who did so much to spread this message of hope to, to the Gentile world. And Father, we praise you as we begin our, begin our study today and continue our study in Acts and begin chapter 16. We ask, Father, that you'll continue to bless us. Uh, bless us, Father, with the appetite, the hunger and thirst for your righteousness and bless us with understanding. We thank you for your word. We thank you for this opportunity. And we ask these blessings in the mighty name of our Lord and our Savior, Jesus the Christ. Amen. So we're up to Acts uh, chapter 15, 16. Last week we were in chapter 15, fascinating chapter where this uh, issue to do with uh, the Gentiles and the requirements upon the Gentiles as they are coming into the truth and receiving the Holy Spirit. Uh, and so they had this council where, where the elders came together and, and they were able to determine uh, what to do and to get, get everybody on the same page. And so letters went out uh, from the Jerusalem council to the Gentile congregation so there would be no confusion. And, and, and disputation around how to handle the Gentiles. At the end of chapter 15, we'll just pick it up from there as we move into chapter 16, verse 36, we'll just re-read re, re, what we read last week. And some days after Paul said unto Barnabas, so some time has passed, 
And then Paul, Paul says to Barnabas, let us go again and visit our brethren in every city where we have preached the word of the Lord and see how they do. So Paul is probably somewhat concerned about these Judaizers uh, going through and following uh, after they have started these Gentile churches and maybe corrupting them. And so he's concerned and wants to go back and just make sure that everything's fine with them, that they're, that they're doing fine. And verse 37, and Barnabas determined to take with them John, whose surname was Mark. So Barnabas is like, yeah, this is a good idea, Paul. Let's do that. And by the way, let's make sure we take John Mark. But Paul thought not good to take him with them, who departed from them from Pamphylia and went not with them to the work. So Paul now is like, mm, I don't think that that's such a good idea because he's remembering when back in Acts 13, when the, uh, the uh, time was getting pretty intense that John Mark left them. That was the verse 13 of Acts 13. And Luke didn't say too much about it then, but we can see from here in chapter 15 that uh, Paul was not impressed, that uh, when the going gets tough, the tough get going. And that was Paul's whole perspective, that he did not care one bit. Didn't matter how much opposition there was to preaching this gospel. He says, woe unto me if I preach not the gospel. He's facing that opposition head on, and uh, even if it meant being killed. And he, he really understood what he was getting into because he himself was uh, a perpetrator of this persecution of the church. John Mark, young man, uh, you know, more, more, more comfortable with... Uh, the way, you know, in Jerusalem, his mother was obviously someone very influential. Church used to meet in her home. Uh, and so that sort of um, safety zone is what John Mark was used to, and he just couldn't rough it. And so now Paul, in thinking of going back through and maybe the opposition that they would face as they go retrace their steps and go back and visit these churches, he's like, mm, no, I don't, I don't think it's a good idea to take John Mark with us. Now, it says the contention was so sharp between them that they split apart. They departed asunder one from another. Here are these two men that have worked so well together. And in fact, it was Barnabas who, who sponsored Paul when everybody was afraid of him and didn't trust him. It was Barnabas that saw something in him and could see his credibility and, and see his authenticity and his, his sincerity. And, and Barnabas stood up for Paul and, and helped Paul receive some level of acceptance among the brethren. And now Barnabas is standing up for John Mark, but Paul, he's just not having it. Uh, no way. Not what they have to. He, he knows what they're up against. Uh, Barnabas perhaps sees that John Mark has matured. Maybe John Mark has reconsidered what he did, and, and he's ready. And, and Paul will not back down, and Barnabas will not back down. And so these two men who work so well together, they split apart one from the other. And so Barnabas took Mark. He was determined. He could see that there's something in this young man, and this is going to be very good for him, and he's ready. And so he took Mark and sailed to Cyprus. And Paul chose Silas and left, being recommended by the brethren unto the grace of God. So they're you know, blessing them as they leave, and uh, Paul and Barnabas are no longer working together. Paul is now with Silas and Barnabas with Mark. And so Luke now no longer follows what Barnabas and Mark are doing because his whole focus is to write to Theophilus about Paul's ministry. And Paul chooses Silas because Paul is as serious as a heart attack. He, he is not joking. This is serious work. He chooses a very, uh, an esteemed pillar to go with him. 
And so they left, being recommended by the brethren unto the grace of God. And he went through Syria and Cilicia, confirming the churches. Now we come into chapter 16. Then he came to Derbe and Lystra, and behold, a certain disciple was there named Timothy, the son of a certain woman, which was a Jewess. So Luke gives us this piece of information that Timothy was the son of a Jewess and, and that he believed, but his father was a Greek. So Luke wants us to know that it's a mixed marriage. The mother is Jewish. The father is Greek. And he says, and, but Timothy was a believer, which was well reported of by the brethren that were at Lystra and Iconium. So Timothy's a believer. He's got a good reputation and uh, he's of a mixed marriage. Father's Greek, mother is Jewish. Now, as Christians, this is not an issue. As Jew, you know, perhaps the Jews would, would think differently about this, but uh, not an issue as a Christian household. Now, um, Luke makes it clear to us that his father is Greek. And at this time, the Jews were very focused on what we call uh, matrilinearity as opposed to patrilinearity, which basically means that instead of reckoning someone as Jewish because of the line of their father, which is the way it was done traditionally, the Jews had switched and they reckoned somebody Jewish based on the line of their mother. So that's called matrilinearity. And they chose that because, you know, the father can always be questioned, you know, was this really the son of John or the son of Fred? Uh, but there's no doubt who the mother is. So that way they could be absolutely certain that this person, this child was Jewish because they know the mother that it came out of. So, so the fact that uh, Luke is highlighting the fact that Timothy's mother is Jewish is important. When we go, if we take a look at Galatians in chapter two, he, he writes here, 14 years after I went up again to Jerusalem with Barnabas and took Titus with me also. And I went up by revelation and communicated unto them that the gospel which I preach among the Gentiles, but privately to them which were of reputation, lest by any means I should run or had run in vain. So this is when, you know, after receiving training from Jesus Christ personally, uh, that he went to Jerusalem just to confirm the gospel that he was preaching and to reconcile it or, or, or validate it with the gospel that men like Peter were preaching. But he says, but neither Titus, who was with me, being a Greek, was compelled to be circumcised. So because Titus was a Greek, they, he didn't compel him to be circumcised. And that because of false brethren unawares brought in who came in privately despite our liberty, which we have in Christ Jesus, that they might bring us into bondage, to whom we gave place by subjection, no, not for an hour, that the truth of the gospel might continue with you. So he's, he's making clear. So Timothy is going to be compelled to be circumcised because he's Jewish. But Titus, Paul made the judgment that Titus doesn't have to be circumcised because he was Greek. In 1 Corinthians 7 and verse 19, he says, Circumcision is nothing, and uncircumcision is nothing, but the keeping of the commandments of God. So a lot of people want to look at Acts 15 and think that, oh, the commandments are thrown away, the commandments don't matter. No, this whole um, ceremonial law is what, what, what Paul was pushing back against, not the moral law. Of God and so you cannot because you're a Christian you can't go out and murder you can't go out and steal you can't go out and commit adultery the moral of law the moral law of God stands 
but he's making a clear look. Whether you're circumcised or not circumcised, this is irrelevant. What matters is that you're in Christ and you're obeying Christ. In Acts 9 and verse 15, we read this, the Lord said unto him, Go your way, this is, this is a Paul's conversion or Saul's conversion, and, and the Lord says to him, Go your way, for he is a chosen vessel unto me, to bear my name before the Gentiles and kings, and notice this, and the children of Israel. A lot of people say that you know Paul was the apostle to the Gentiles, and that is true, and he even calls himself that. But in Christ establishing his ministry, he was also to bear Christ's name, not just to the Gentiles and kings, but also to the children of Israel. So he, so he was preaching the gospel to Israel as well, and, and he was very qualified to do that. In 1 Corinthians 9 and verse 15, he says, But I have used none of these things, neither have I written these things, that it should be so done unto me. For it were better for me to die, than that any man should make my glory in void. For though I preach the gospel, I have nothing to glory of. For necessity is laid upon me. Yes, woe is unto me, if I preach not the gospel. For if I do this thing willingly, I have a reward. But if against my will a dispensation of the gospel is committed unto me. So he really has no choice but to preach the gospel, is what he's saying there. What is my reward then? Verily, that when I preach the gospel, I may make the gospel of Christ without charge, that I abuse not my power in the gospel. What he's saying here is, it's really important to him that when he preaches the gospel, he doesn't ask for anything from anybody, because he doesn't want to use his position and later be accused of taking advantage of anyone. So this is why Paul was a tent maker, to finance himself as he preached the gospel. He says, For though I be free of all men, yet have I made myself servant unto all, that I might gain the more. And unto the Jews, this is very important now to understand Paul's psychology and, and why he made certain decisions and not others. So why did he compel Timothy to be circumcised and yet he made sure that Titus was not circumcised. Seems, it seems sort of a double standard or contradictory. He explains his thinking here in 1 Corinthians 9. He's compelled to preach this gospel. He's very concerned that he does it legitimately. And then we see his whole way of thinking here in verse 20. He says, And unto the Jews I became as a Jew, that I might gain the Jews. To them that are under the law, as under the law that I might gain them that are under the law. To them that are without the law, as without law, being not without law to God, but under the law to Christ. So again, this is, we're talking here, the ceremonial law, not the moral law. It's not like Paul saying, you know, if for those that are uh, committing murder and adultery, I just joined them and committed murder and adultery as well. No, he's talking about the ceremonial civil law. Cer ceremonial laws and the civil laws that, to those that are without law, he was as without law, that I might gain them that are without law. To the weak became I as weak, that I might gain the weak. And, and here he's referring to the Judaizers as weak, because they don't really understand the power of Christ. And so rather than go in and offend them and turn them away, he operated the way they understood in their, their juvenile understanding, so that he could bring them over gradually. He says, I am made all things to all men, that I might by all means save some. And this I do for
for the gospel's sake, that I might be partaker thereof with you. So all of this judgments, all these judgments that he was making, this flexibility that he had, this discernment that he had, he did all of this, being all things to all men, that by any means he might gain some. That, that was his thinking. And so this is why we see now in verse 3 of Acts 16, speaking of Timothy, he said, him would, have, would Paul have to go forth with him. So he saw something in this young man. The young man had a really good reputation, but he saw that the young man was the son of a Jewess and the, and the son of a Greek father. So he's going to take Timothy with him, and notice this, and took and circumcised him because of the Jews which were in those quarters. For they all knew that his father was a Greek, but they knew that his mother was a Jew. And so they're going to be very sensitive now. Is he, you know, has he become pagan? Is he, has he left the Jewish, Jewish faith? Or has he abdicated the Jewish faith? And so Paul doesn't want this, this noise. He doesn't want to show up with Timothy. And then there's all this noise around Timothy's ministry. And they're, they're pushing back and they're not really accepting Timothy. So he wants to make sure that he, he eliminates that objection so that he can preach the gospel without this interference. So he went and he circumcised him because of the Jews. And as they went through the cities, they delivered them the decrees for to keep that were ordained of the apostles and elders which were at Jerusalem. So we read that last week. Uh, everything else they would get at the weekly Sabbath service, but there were certain decrees that it's immediate. This, this is coming from Leviticus, uh, as we read last week, Leviticus 17 and 18, that they need to be really serious about this. As you bring strangers in among you, make sure that they don't do these things lest they defile the whole camp. And so they went and they delivered these decrees to them that were ordained of the apostles and elders which were at Jerusalem. And so were the churches established in the faith and increased in number daily. So Paul says, let's go back and check on these churches. They went back. They, they shared with the churches the judgment from Jerusalem. And the churches were established in the faith. And they increased in number daily. Now, when they had gone throughout Phrygia and the region of Galatia, and were forbidden by the Holy Spirit to preach the word in Asia. So they're in uh, Asia Minor, what we call it Turkey today. So that whole area that we call Turkey today, it was taken over uh, by the Turks, by the Muslims, the Ottoman Empire. Uh, but back in this time, this was part of the Roman Empire, and this province was known as Asia. And they're preaching in Asia. But now the Holy Spirit, and we, it doesn't say, Luke doesn't say how, but for some reason there's some sort of obstacle and they're not able to continue to preach the word in Asia. After they were come to Mysia, they tried to go into Bithynia. So again, all of this is taking place in the area of the world we call Turkey today. But the Spirit did not allow them. So they're trying to, now they're trying to go into Bithynia, which is still in Asia. But the Spirit would not allow them. We don't know what that means exactly, but um, typically there's some sort of circumstance that they, they can't get there. The door is closed. And they, passing by Mysia, came down to Troas. And a vision appeared to Paul in the night. There stood a man of Macedonia. So Macedonia is now in Europe. 
And so now they're, they're, they're in Asia and they cannot preach the gospel properly in Asia. There's some sort of interference not allowing them to do this. Now we see that Paul in the night gets a vision and in this vision there stood a man from Macedonia and begging him saying, come over into Macedonia and help us. And after he had seen the vision, immediately we endeavored to go into Macedonia, assuredly gathering that the Lord had called us for to preach the gospel unto them. So they figured it out. So they're trying to preach, continue to preach the gospel in Asia, but there's some kind of interference and the Holy Spirit is not giving them success in, in preaching in Asia. And then Paul gets this vision of somebody in Macedonia saying, come over here and help us. And they realize that this is where the Holy Spirit wants them to go. So they're getting a door closed here, but a door is being open to Macedonia. And so they realize, okay, this is where we need to go to preach the gospel. Therefore, loosing from Troas, we came with a straight course to Samothracia, and the next day to Neapolis. So this is how the gospel leaves the Middle East and now goes into Europe. This is the beginning of the gospel going into Europe. So the next day we went to Neapolis, and from there to Philippi, which is the chief city of that part of Macedonia. So Philip was the, the king, he was the father of Alexander the Great, and so this place was called Philippi after Alexander the Great's father, and so it's the chief city of that part of Macedonia. And Alexander the Great was Macedonian, even though he spread Greek culture, he was so fascinated by Greek culture, Greek language, Greek philosophy, uh, Greek culture, so he really, people think he was Greek, but he was actually Macedonian. And Philippi was the chief city of that part of Macedonia and the colony. And we were in that city staying certain days. So they stayed there in Philippi. And on the Sabbath, we went out of the city by a riverside where prayer was wont to be made. So again, this is the apostle to the Gentiles. And throughout the scriptures, we see all these clues that if we open our eyes, it's very clear. These were not Sunday keepers. These, these early believers did not observe Sunday. They were all Sabbatarians. They all kept, Jesus kept the Sabbath. They, they are followers of Christ, Christians. They all kept the Sabbath. And not just the Sabbath, they kept the Holy Days as well. In fact, they wouldn't have received the Holy Spirit if they were not observing Pentecost. And they couldn't observe Pentecost if they didn't know how to count 50 from the Days of Unleavened Bread. And they wouldn't be keeping the Days of Unleavened Bread unless they were keeping the Passover. So very clearly, they kept the Passover, they kept the Days of Unleavened Bread, they need to identify the wave sheaf offering during the Days of Unleavened Bread so that they could then count 50, so that they could then keep the days of uh, the Day of um, Pentecost which they then received the Holy Spirit and, and, and en masse received the Holy Spirit because they were all together in one accord, in one place, all in agreement, and we see that in Acts 2. So if there was any dispute about which days they should be keeping, you know, it's seven Sabbaths. So from the Sabbath during the Days of Unleavened Bread, it, there's seven Sabbaths plus a day to get to Pentecost. So that's where you get the first day of the week and, and the Sunday. Pentecost is always on a Sunday. So that's the only time we see them observing on a Sunday is for Pentecost. Other than that, these are faithful brethren and they're keeping the Sabbath. And so last week, what we saw in Acts 15 was this ecumenical council where they had to come together to resolve a dispute. 
and everybody there was Jewish. Fast forward a hundred years, and there's not a Jew to be found. Jews are unwelcome. And, and when we see all of the ecumenical councils going forward and from the, you know, in the third, fourth century, they are all Greeks, philosophical, educated Greeks who hate Jews and want nothing to do with Jews and, and despise the Passover and switch the, from Passover to Easter. And, and, and we just see all of this hatred, this Jew hatred. If you listen to these fathers, you listen to um, John Chrysostom, for example, one of the church fathers, how he despised the Jews and despised the holy days and wanted to separate the church from the Jews. And even you think of the Protestant reformer, uh, Martin Luther. People think Martin Luther, oh yeah, a Protestant, great Protestant reformer. He hated the Jews, despised them. There was a lot of anti-Semitism in the church fathers. And so they removed the church away from its Hebrew roots. And when you do that, you miss the whole plot of the Bible. So here on the Sabbath, so they're now observing the Sabbath, but they don't have a, a synagogue to go to. We went out of the city by a riverside where prayer was wont to be made. So they know they know where to look to see where Jews will gather and have prayer. And we sat down and spoke unto the women which resorted there. So this is this is the gospel going into Europe, and we see this critical role of women. The same way like after Christ's uh, resurrection, it was women who saw him first. And so the Bible, uh, God, honors women throughout the scripture. He doesn't subjugate them and, and humiliate them. And a certain woman named Lydia, a seller of purple of the city of Thyatira, which worshipped God, heard us. So there's now this woman who's going to play a pivotal role in the gospel beginning to be preached in Europe. And she was a seller of purple. So Luke wants us to know she was a wealthy woman. So back then, today, you go, you buy anything for, you know, pennies. Uh, you go to Walmart, if you, depending on where you are, if you have any sort of uh, market, you can buy a t-shirt, a purple t-shirt, not very expensive. You can get t-shirts in the color of your country uh, with all the different bright colors, not expensive at all. Back here, color was very expensive because dye was very expensive and purple was extremely expensive and this is why royalty wore purple very wealthy people wore purple to demonstrate that they had money and so she sold purple which means she was making a lot of money so she was a seller of purple of the city of Thyatira which worshipped God so she was a God worshipping woman heard us whose heart the Lord opened so he, he prevents, the Holy Spirit prevents them from preaching in Asia, in the Middle East. They cross over, come into Europe. Uh, they're in Philippi. And uh, God opens this woman's heart to the gospel. That she attended unto the things which were spoken of Paul. And when she was baptized, so she comes to repentance, she's baptized. When she was baptized and her household. So she had, she had a household with her, wealthy woman, and, and uh, had a household with her. And the whole household was baptized. And so normally we see, um, normally we will see uh, baptism as an individual commitment. Each person makes the decision to be baptized. Here there's a miracle taking place. And God enables the whole household to see the truth and be baptized, to repent and be baptized, as the church is being founded in Europe. And she begged us, saying, if you have judged me to be faithful, 
to the Lord. Come into my house. So please stay with me and abide there. And she constrained us. So she was very, uh, now when I said, I want to say forceful, let's say persuasive. She was very persuasive and I don't know how many people were in her household, but she's a very wealthy woman, probably has a number of servants and quite a big household and lots of rooms. And so she's saying like, please, you know, stay here. If, if, I, if you see me as a faithful woman to the Lord, then stay with us. So she did that. She persuaded them to stay. And it came to pass, as we went to prayer, a certain damsel possessed with a spirit of divination met us, which brought her masters much gain by soothsaying. So this is something, if you're familiar with the way voodoo works, uh, that they can take these people who are uh, possessed by spirits and the spirits can speak through, if, if, they, if, they have, if they become, we call it familiar spirits, if they become familiar with these spirits and they, they don't lose control of their, their muscles in the way it happens initially, over time they get used to it and the spirit can actually begin to speak through them. And so they, they had this woman in a way that she could speak uh, through the possession. And they, people would pay for that, like, please tell me the future. Will I, will I get better from this disease? Uh, will, will I get married? Or, you know, will I be divorced? Whatever the question where they would come and pay money. And uh, these people were making a lot of money from this woman. The same followed Paul and us. So this is the woman with her masters. They're now following Paul and us and cried saying, these men are the servants of the Most High God, which show unto us the way of salvation. It sounds like a wonderful thing. She is validating them. She's saying, these men are the servants of the Most High God, which show unto us the way of salvation. And this did she many days. But Paul being grieved. Paul was grieved. He did not like this. And I, and I believe that the reason he was grieved is she's putting the spotlight on them. Rather than putting the spotlight on the truth and on Christ, she's putting the spotlight on them. And no doubt these corrupt, her corrupt masters are going to somehow leverage this to make money off them. And so Paul, being grieved, turned and said to the Spirit, I command you, in the name of Jesus Christ, to come out of her and it came out the same hour and the devils also so this is uh, actually if you go back to Luke because again Luke wrote two volumes Luke 1 and Luke 2 and as Theophilus is reading volume 2 he's going to see echoes of volume 1 and an echo that he would see here is in Luke 4 verse 41 with Christ the devils also came out of many crying out saying, You are Christ, the Son of God. And he, rebuking them, suffered them not to speak, for they knew that he was Christ. So again, they're trying to put the focus on him, which at the time he did not want that focus on him. And they were, what they were saying is true, but it was working against what he his, his mission. And so he rebuked them and suffered them not to speak. And we see Paul now acting the same way as Christ. And this is what Theophilus this is what Paul, or sorry, Luke, wants Theophilus to understand. That Paul is walking in the ministry of, his, of Christ. So back to Acts 16 and verse 19. When her masters saw 
that the hope of their gains was gone. This is the motivation. And a lot of the evil that we see in society, the Bible tells us it's the love of money. The root of it is the love of money. And so they were quite happy to abuse this young girl, to take advantage of her, to exploit her, to enslave her, because it was good money for them. Now she's free, and when her masters saw that the hope of their gains was gone, they caught Paul and Silas and drew them into the marketplace unto the rulers and brought them to the magistrates, saying, These men, being Jews, do exceedingly trouble our city. Now, they were Christians, but because they were Sabbath-keeping and, and they, you know, this, this is not, they're, they're not behaving differently. They believe differently, but they're not behaving differently. So the Greeks would just identify these people as Jews. And many, in fact, the early church, they were known as Jews, just a, a different sect. Whereas now, because of what happened in the 3rd and 4th century, that the church is unrecognizable. These men being Jews do exceedingly trouble our city. So that's not the issue. The issue is economical. They lost their paycheck. And that's what's really driving them and motivating them. They're using this as uh, uh, an excuse to, to, to demonize Paul and Silas. These men being Jews do exceedingly trouble our city and teach customs which are not lawful for us to receive, neither to observe being Romans. So they're trying to make this now like, hey, we're Romans. These people are working against their being uh, subversive to the Roman Empire. We don't like this. That's not at all the issue. The issue is they lost their paycheck. And the multitude rose up together against them. So this is the way Satan works. And we should take note because Christians will certainly face this sort of harassment in the future where it's the, the, the motivation is always money, money, power. Uh, in fact, money, power, and sex. These are the three big idols. And uh, if people lose this, then they're going to be very upset. And the multitude rose up, so they, and they're going to manipulate the masses, even though they won't come clean as to what the issue really is. And the multitude rose up together against them, and the magistrates tore off their clothes and commanded to beat them. So they are very, very unhappy what they're doing. They, they, they feel justified now to humiliate these men going against Rome and so they they tear off their clothes and command and they, and they command them to be beaten and when they had laid many stripes upon them and this is again why Paul did not want John Mark this young man to come with them because he just he could see this he knew this was in the future and and he did not feel confident that John Mark could stand up to this so when they had laid many stripes upon them they cast them into prison, charging the jailer to keep them safely. Who, having received such a charge, so the jailer received this charge, thrust them into the inner prison. So they, they say, keep them safely, meaning we're going to deal with these men. Make sure they don't get away. So the, the jailer, having received such a charge, thrust them into the inner prison and made their feet fast in the stocks. He, he's making sure. So they go right into the inner cell, and then he locks their feet into the stocks. So there's, they can't even walk around, never mind escape. So they're in the inner prison. Their feet are in the stocks. And at midnight, Paul and Silas prayed and sang praises 
unto God, and the prisoners heard them. So you would think that they would be, oh, woe is me, and oh, how did this happen, and just, just, just the terrorists of the worst day of my life. Not at all. They sang praises. They, they feel honored that they are representing Christ and, and are suffering for his sake. And so it's at midnight, they're praying, and they're singing praises. And they're not doing it hush-hush, you know, let's just keep this quiet. They're singing out loud so that the prisoners could hear them. And then suddenly, there was a great earthquake so that the foundations of the prison were shaken. So the very foundations of the prison were shaken by this earthquake. And immediately, all the doors were opened and everyone's bands were loosed. So whoever was in, you know, these men were in stocks, maybe other prisoners were in stocks as well, uh, and maybe their hands as well were handcuffed. The doors were, were locked. All of a sudden, all of these devices, all of these locks, all of these doors, boom, opened. Everyone's free as a result of this miraculous earthquake. And the keeper of the prison, awaking out of his sleep, so he's got everybody bound, and these prisoners are in the inner cell and their feet are in, in uh, cuffs, stocks, and he is sleeping. It's, it's midnight. So he's done it. He's been at it all day. And so he's sleeping. Because of this earthquake now, he's woken out of his sleep and seeing the prison doors open. What? So he wakes up out of this sleep and the prison doors are open. And he is the jailer. He's responsible for these prisoners. He is not going to face the authorities saying, on my watch, all the prisoners escaped. So seeing the prison doors open, he drew out his sword and would have killed himself, supposing that the prisoners had been fled. Better he kill himself than he be subject or subjected to the punishment from the Roman authorities. But Paul cried with a loud voice saying, do yourself no harm, for we are all here. We're all here. Don't, don't, don't do it. We're, you, nobody has escaped. Then he called for a light and sprang in. <laughs> He's like, what? He called for a light. As soon as he got a light, he rushed in and came trembling and fell down before Paul and Silas and brought them out. So he's bringing them out of the inner prison, the inner cell, and said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? This is how the gospel began in Europe. And they said, Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and you shall be saved, and your house. Now, this is not flippant. Like, oh, just say, just say this little prayer, I believe in Jesus. There's teaching associated with this. And no doubt he would have overheard some of it before he went to sleep when, with Paul and Silas. But now he wants to know, okay, clearly there's miraculous power here. You, rep, you are the representatives of God. I want to know. What do I have to do to be saved? And so they say, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and you shall be saved in your house. And notice verse 32. And they spoke unto him the word of the Lord, and to all that were in his house. So they made sure that he understood what this means, what, this, what he's a part of. And he took them the same hour of the night and washed their stripes and was baptized, he and all of his, immediately. But that baptism didn't come without teaching. So you need to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. Let us explain to you what that means. Let us explain to you the commitment that you need to make to him.
And when all of that was clear, then he was baptized. And when he had brought them into his house, he set meat before them, so he gave them a meal, and rejoiced, believing in God with all his house. And when it was day, the magistrates sent the sergeants, saying, Let those men go. So now it's daytime. And the sergeants say, Let those men go. And the keeper of the prison told this thing to Paul. The magistrates have sent to let you go. Now therefore depart and go in peace. So you would think that would be the end of it. This is wonderful. So maybe they got news of the earthquake. They didn't want any more trouble. It's okay. It's all good. Let them go. But Paul said unto them, They have beaten us openly, uncondemned. We didn't go to court. There was no trial. We were not condemned for anything. And we were humiliated and beaten openly. Being Romans... Paul was a Roman citizen. It seems Silas was a Roman citizen as well. And so because Paul was a Roman citizen, he could travel freely. You know, during the um, uh, Greco-Macedonian Empire, Alexander the Great conquered all, these t all this territory, and he spread Greek culture throughout all that territory. And he made Greek, Koine Greek, the official language of all of this territory. And then when the Romans came and conquered the Greeks, what they did is they were great with infrastructure and they laid out all these roads and they were very important, very uh, financially oriented, very tax oriented. And so they had spread the empire, their empire, but they, they, the, the saying all roads lead to Rome because they had to collect the taxes. And so they made sure they put good infrastructure so that all these roads could lead to Rome. And now Paul, being a Roman citizen, speaking Greek as well as Hebrew and uh, Aramaic, he could uh, now travel on this Roman infrastructure, go through all through Europe, all over, all through Asia, all through Europe, and uh, as a Roman citizen. And then being a master of Greek, speak with everybody because everybody speaks Greek, and at the same time being a Hebrew of the Hebrews and really understanding the scriptures extremely well. So he was very well suited and, and carefully selected for this ministry. And so he says, uh-oh, you guys have a bit of a problem. You beat uncondemned Roman citizens and have cast us into prison. Into prison. And now, do they thrust us out privately? You think we're going to stand for this? We are Roman citizens. You beat us openly, and now, and you cast us into prison. You think we're just going to go away silently? No, truly. But let them come themselves and fetch us out. And the sergeants told these words unto the magistrates. And they feared when they heard that they were Romans. And they came and begged them and brought them out and desired them to depart out of the city. So they, they're like, we're in big trouble. We really need you to, you know, just please leave. And they went out of the prison and entered into the house of Lydia. And when they had seen the brethren, they comforted them and departed. And so again, we see this woman, Lydia, playing a pivotal role in the introduction of the gospel into Europe. 
And in fact, there's a whole book in the New Testament to the Philippians. And so she was the founder of this Philippian congregation. And Paul, you know, all the congregations are very different. And as you read Corinthians or Galatians or Ephesians, you see these different relationships that Paul has with the different congregations and the different problems and challenges that the different congregations have. But the Philippians were his favorite congregation. They were always supportive of him. He did not have trouble with the congreg this congregation of Philippi the way he did with the other congregations. They really supported him. And you see, it's like a love letter, the, 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 the letter to the Philippians. You see the love they have for him. You see the love he has for them. And Lydia is the, the foundation. Her household is the foundation of this, of this uh, wonderful congregation. So this is uh, the end of chapter 16 of Acts. We'll pause there, take a musical interlude, and I'll be right back. Europe, Asia, Africa, America, Australia, God is calling People of the earth, children of the universe, why can't you be faithful and true? All that is done for you, all that is brought you through. Yet you've gone your own way, and you chose not to pray. Stop. Be still. Hear him and pray. He is your maker. He is your God. Maker, 